0: Well, congratulations, everybody, for making it through 2020. Uh, way to go. Um, I have been so inspired by the incredible resiliency that many of you have shown in so many different ways, enduring you know, all kinds of uh, challenges past the breaking point, um, finding joy, um, you know, figuring out solutions to seemingly impossible problems. Uh, the list goes on. Continuing to serve and to give of yourselves uh, in the hard moments that we've experienced in 2020. And I have just really enjoyed you know, my phone conversations, my Zoom meetings, um, chance encounters with people, and just hearing uh, the stories of your resiliency. They've really inspired me and encouraged me. And so thank you for that. I scheduled myself to speak on money today, and here, too, I've been inspired uh, at times, and it's sometimes heartbroken as I think about this past year. I think about people who are trying to hold down jobs and care for small children at the same time, just enclosed in a small space on top of each other and trying to make it work. I think about people who've lost their work or maybe experienced uh, a a sharp pay cut over this past year people who've poured themselves heart and soul into starting a business it could be over years it could be over decades and now that business hasn't been able to make it through this season extremely painful like losing a kid Um, i found um i think about people who uh you know their jobs have become so much harder during this season. Um, because of the pandemic, uh, and of course, in this category, you have to think about medical workers um, and others who are, you know, helping people in need, where their jobs have just become extremely difficult in this season, uh, and they're hanging on by a thread, many of them. We, we need to be praying for our medical workers, especially right now, and other people who are caring for those who are suffering because um, they're being stretched to the breaking point. I think about those who are facing uncertainty because maybe they're in a field that is shifting dramatically as a result of the changes that are happening across and throughout our society as the pandemic continues to go on. Uh, And then, of course, I think about the low-income households around us because we know that Low-income households are suffering disproportionately as a result of the pandemic. And so all of this is in our hearts. I would guess there isn't one of us who hasn't been touched by one of these concerns in some particular way. And so we're out of 2020, but we need to continue the work of praying for one another, fellowshipping, uh, upholding one another in 2021. And it's in this context uh, that I kind of embark on this discussion of money today, um, you know, I'd say, though, that reflecting biblically on the topic of money is one of the things that we most need right now. And here's, here's why. Scarcity or the fear of scarcity presents a temptation for us to develop an unhealthy relationship with money. And the pandemic raises the stakes on all of this. Um, It raises the fear level. We might be tempted in a number of ways to develop an unhealthy relationship with money. Um, Whether it's obsessing about money, that's something that happens to people uh, even when they're not in a pandemic, but it can happen to us maybe especially as the fear level increases. Um, Spending out of emotion sort of to cover our struggles Um, We sometimes use money or spending or buying things to paper over our emotional struggles. Sneaking purchases and hiding them from others. You know, feeling guilty about spending money at all. There can be a sense in which anything we spend is spent wrongly. Uh, And then, of course, all this can be summarized under the heading of putting our trust in having money. And thinking that if we have enough, we're going to be okay. Using money as a way to gain assurance for the future. All of these approaches to money are toxic for the soul. And so as we begin the new year, um, one that has a lot of uncertainty associated with it that now is a great time to try and get our heads on straight in relation to money. So, I want to do that by looking first at a passage in Matthew uh, Matthew six twenty five through thirty four, where Jesus talks about this very subject. And so, we're going to put this up on the screen. But if you have your Bible with you, please open up to Matthew six twenty five through thirty four. This is part of the Sermon on the Mount, and Jesus addresses anxiety and money. He says in verse 25, Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life. What you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on, is not life more than food and the body more than clothing. Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. It's interesting that he says, your heavenly Father. So in other words, your your heavenly Father who's closer to you takes care of these other things that are further away, in a sense. Your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. And yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. And if you go back and you look at Solomon and and how exactly was Solomon arrayed, there's some amazing stories about the wealth and the intricacy of Solomon's clothing and, and, and accoutrements. He had a throne that was made out of ivory and it was overlaid with gold and it was sitting up. On six steps and on the top of it it was a gold-encrusted calf's head. And on the sides were two high armchairs and that had lions presumably covered in gold. And then on each of the six steps, there was another lion on either end that would have been covered in gold as well. And it says that there had never been anything like it in history regarding the wealth of Solomon. And so when Jesus says that even Solomon is not arrayed like one of these, he's got that picture in mind of this glorious Solomon. But Solomon doesn't compare. Verse 30, But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Now, let's think about this passage for a few moments. First of all, what it doesn't say. It doesn't say that you won't ever lose your job, that your business will always thrive, that you'll always have within you your power, the ability to get yourself out of whatever predicament that you might be in. It doesn't say those things. I find this to be a big barrier in trusting God for for me and, and for others. We say something like this. Yes, I know he will be faithful. But he's not going to be faithful in the way that I want him to be faithful. And so therefore, I have a hard time trusting him. And what we're really saying when we say that is, is I trust you, God, generally, if there's really no other option. But I prefer to trust myself. I, I like my plan better than the plan I'm afraid you're going to bring about. So I will trust myself first And see if I can get it done in my own strength. See, the question isn't, do you trust God to do things the way that you would do it? The question is, do you trust God? And once you make that shift, which is crucial to this passage, it really opens up with kind of a freshness and and a life-giving way uh, one of the desperate needs of the American church, this really strikes a chord beneath the surface of even the conversation about money. One of our desperate needs is for us to become more radical in faith, for us to become more radical in our faith. And I just sort of sense that one of the blessings coming out of this pandemic is that we are being pressed into a more real and a more daily and a more surrendered type of faith in God. And that is painful in many ways, but ultimately good. Uh, and when we come out of this, or or what we, whatever it is that we come into, as we pass from one season to the next, we as a church are going to be more fruitful if, in fact, our walk with Jesus is based, rooted in a more vibrant and a deeper faith. And, and that, goes, that goes for the way that we think about our money, but it really goes for how we think about life generally. And, and it's interesting, as we get our mindset right with respect to money, it oftentimes spills over into the other areas of our lives. Relationships, evangelism, jobs, ministry, the list goes on and on. The life of faith is a holistic Life And one of the ways that we can do a kind of a test is is to consider how we think about money. So what the passage does say is this. It says that every time you look at a bird, think of how it's your father who is clothing that little animal so brilliantly. Who knew that birding is actually a spiritual discipline. Those of you who have been into birding, I see you. I've seen you on Instagram. There's been a little bit of a resurgence of birding in our congregation over the last while. I just want to say that you have biblical justification for your birding. We, we have, in the midst of our congregation, somebody who is world-renowned for his birding skills. So a lot of birding happening in our congregation, and I want to affirm it because Jesus says, Consider the birds. Look at the birds. Well, why does he say that? Look at the birds of the air because they show you, they demonstrate to you God's faithfulness. And if there's no birds around, he says, you don't even need that. Just look at the grass. It takes more care to nurture a single blade of grass than the wealthiest person puts into their entire portfolio. Solomon being the example in this case. And your father does it for each blade of grass every single day. And the blade of grass isn't even part of the family. It's your father. You're part of the family. And the blade of grass outside of that circle is being taken care of so perfectly and so faithfully. The passage says that it's folly for us to trust in money. It will let you down every time. A few verses earlier, Jesus says this in verse 19. He says, "'Do not lay up for yourselves treasure on earth "'where moth and rust destroy, "'where thieves break in and steal, "'but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven "'where neither moth nor rust destroys "'and where thieves do not break in and steal. "'For where your treasure is, "'there your heart will be also.'" So the passage says that trusting in money is folly. And it says that instead of trusting in money or being anxious about tomorrow, the word comes up several times, we ought to put all that misplaced energy towards seeking the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God just refers to the reign of God, wherever the will of God is being done. So. You know, in you know, the, the the prayer that we often pray, you know, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. That's what that means. Wherever the will of God is being done. another term for that is is the righteousness of God. It says, take all that energy that you've been spending in anxious worry and put it towards pursuit of the kingdom of God, the will of God of righteousness. And if we do that, in the end, we're going to be much better off. We're going to have avoided uh, all of that anxiety and we'll end up just the same as we would have been. Um, All that wasted and stress and anxiety will be avoided and God will take care of us just the same as, as he would have. And we'll be a testimony to the people around us calling them into the life of faith. When people see the confidence that we have in the Lord, the the faith, the trust we're placing in the Lord, they will be freed from the bondage of anxiety and worry that has them entrapped as well. So how do you live a life of trust instead of anxiety? How do you live a life of trust instead of anxiety? How do you make trust real in your life? Many of Us have heard the analogy of how faith is like sitting in a chair. I can talk about a particular chair all day long. Uh, I could do an analysis of the design of a particular chair. I could write a wonderful blog about the sturdiness of the chair. I could even write a poem about the magnificent fortitude of the chair. But until I sit, in the chair I have not really expressed my trust in the chair and even more I would say that until I place my entire weight upon the chair I don't really know the chair even though I might have talked about the chair in a great deal see there are things about the chair that one can only learn by sitting in in the chair, feeling its contours, observing its sense of balance, the firmness of the pads, and on and on and on. We can say that we trust God to provide for us, but until we actually live by faith, we are not actually trusting in God. Some important things about trust. In this light, You can't live today off yesterday's trust. Now, the trust that you expressed in the past will have ramifications into the future, but you can't live today off yesterday's trust. It's possible to have trusted greatly in the past, but not be trusting God right now. And in the face of the pandemic and economic downturn and job loss and all kinds of uncertainty, you know, that point is being pressed Home with us. We may have trusted God in times of ease in the past, but we may be finding now that times are more challenging. We can't rely on that past trust. We need to continue. We're being invited into a life of trust even now. We need regularly to be brought back into trust in God because it's our natural tendency um, to veer into trust. In self, especially in our modern Western context, where we have so much—in fact, many people in the modern modern world, excuse me—have so much that it really does seem feasible in many respects to to get along without God. That's that is one of the spiritual sicknesses of our modern society is that we have developed so much and we have so much that it really does seem possible to get along without God. And so we're lulled, in a sense, into a spiritual sleepiness. Matthew 19, 24, um, we see this truth being brought out. Our spiritual peril is being called out. And as Jesus says, I tell you, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle Than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. So, tremendous spiritual peril in our wealth. Um, And then the journey of trust is a never ending journey into a greater and deeper relationship with God. You've trusted God before, okay? Many of you would be able to say today, I have trusted God before. But the, the life, the journey of trust is to remember you've never trusted God on this day in the midst of these circumstances before because they're new. And there's something about this day and these circumstances and trusting God in the midst of it that is going to teach you more about God than you previously, previously knew. It's going to draw you deeper into relationship and knowledge of God to continue to trust God on this day in these particular circumstances. The, the walk of faith, you know, isn't simply that there are things... Um, that you know and that you learn them, and now you know them, and you go on to entirely new things there 's some element of that, especially you know as we move towards the beginning of our journey of faith we 're learning more and more things about god but but equally, the walk of faith is a journey of learning the same things on a deeper and deeper level, and ultimately, you know what all of christianity is is teaching is that the goal is to know God and the process of knowing God is an eternal process. We're going to be descending into deeper and deeper knowledge and understanding of God throughout all of eternity. And that journey starts now. And the walk of faith includes trusting God each day in a new set of circumstances. And the result of us moving through life in that way is that we come to know God on a deeper And deeper level, because we learn things about his faithfulness that we hadn't known before. And this pandemic and all the associated challenges, economic challenges, present us with an opportunity to go deeper with God in a walk of trust. And don't miss this opportunity. Don't allow yourself to be, you know, lulled into an unhealthy relationship to the future, to your financial needs, to how you're going to be cared for, um, to be pulled away from the, the precious journey and adventure of a deeper and deeper trust with God. So we need to stay current with our trust to trust generally, and we need to stay current with trust in God regarding our finances. We're called to consider the birds, not just once, but over and over again, to consider how well-dressed they are, to consider how God takes care of them in a way that far supersedes the way in which the wealthiest person tries to take care of him or herself. And all of this explains why The entire Bible, running through the entire Bible, there's this consistent sort of call towards generosity for the people of God. The people of God in the Old Testament were to set aside a tithe, 10%, that they would give on a regular basis. And there's something about the fact that it was to be given on a regular basis that is important because it it kept them in the journey of faith Day in and day out. That when the circumstances changed, they were continually called back to a relationship of trust in God for their needs. And God demonstrated over and over his ability to provide for them. And so did God call them to give, to tithe, because he needed their money? Well, the answer is no, right? Because God already has everything. And there are instances all throughout the Old Testament where miraculously God is providing for his people. He didn't need their money, but they needed to give it because of what it did to their soul. The enlarging of their sense of trust is what was the result of their regular dependency expressed through generous giving. As one person said, the act of giving changes your relationship to money. And I would say it also changes your relationship to God because you are, you are sitting in the chair now. You are trusting in God. And it's, it's both scary and wonderful at the same time. It's exhilarating whenever we let go of control and place our faith and our trust in God. And, and that's just in the Old Testament. As we step into the New Testament, there is no diminishment of generosity. In fact, we could argue that in the New Testament, the call to generosity is ratcheted up a number of notches. And at first, it's through Jesus Christ. I mean, the gospel is centered on the generosity of God to give of himself, to step into the world in human flesh and to be present with us. To uh, offer himself, to offer his teaching, and then to ultimately offer himself on the cross as an atoning sacrifice for sin. You know, that is the definition of generosity. Generosity is at the very core of who God is. And so then for us as human beings to align ourselves with the generosity of God means for us to become generous as well. And that pertains to every aspect of who we are as people, including our finances and if you look at the early church you will see over and over again this ratcheting up of the generosity of the people of God they they in the book of acts they gave everything to be able to support one another and then throughout the rest of the new testament there was this this call to support one another to give generously and again and again it was about what was happening inside of them when they gave that was the most important thing it was it was the enlargement of their hearts the alignment of their hearts with the heart of god as they entered into this deep and thorough generosity that, that God was calling them into. And this is why, fast forwarding to the modern day church, to our church, to this particular local congregation, this is why we and many churches like us encourage to give at 10% because we we see in the Old Testament that was kind of the starting place for the people of God. And, and there's something about that, that number where it actually touches you know, the deep parts of who you are, it actually means something. It's a it's a walk of faith. You can give a little bit and and it wouldn't call you into any faith almost at all. And you can give ten percent and you start to feel the sense of, of having to trust God for your future. And so I want to invite you, those of you who haven't been walking the journey of tithing, to begin to walk out that journey. And 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 I understand that's a that's, a, that's perhaps an overwhelming call to you. Um, but sit in that for a second. Sit in the call of God upon all of your life. Um, sit in the possibility that just maybe you're going to see the faithfulness of God in a new light as you step out in greater dependency upon God and a willingness to entrust your financial life to God. And what that's going to do to your heart and to the process of your discipleship and your walk with God, this is the the wonderful journey that God is calling us to. And I'm on this as well. Those of you who have been giving and tithing regularly, I want to invite you to stay on this journey. I, you know, as I'm working on this sermon, my heart is being changed again. I'm being reminded of how important it is for me to be on this journey. And not only just to consider 10%, but to think about my life holistically. Because ultimately God owns it all. It's all his. Am I being a steward of what God has given to me? And I sense the call um, in this process of prayerfully reevaluating my life. What is God calling me to give? What is God calling me um, to tangibly express as his own so that I might live the life of faith more fully, that I might walk with him on this journey. And and how is the pandemic and all the associated elements of it pressing me into a deeper trust in God? Because I feel in me the fears of the future and the uncertainties, uh, and I wonder what is around the next corner and in that moment it 's a very precious moment, spiritually, for my own discipleship, and for your own discipleship what will what will we do in that moment and And the way that we navigate that moment will will in some ways shape the way, the way that we navigate all moments will we will we see ourselves as living in dependency upon god there's something beautifully and wonderfully freeing about a life of dependency upon God. Think of the birds of the air, right? They, they don't even realize the extent to which they're dependent upon God for their daily needs. And you see them flying around, fluttering around. There's something freeing and beautiful about the birds, that image and for us to take a lesson from the birds. It's possible to live in that kind of way, to be freed from the common human anxieties and to live a life of faith and trust in God. If we take up the call of Jesus, if we lay down our worry and live the life of faithful generosity, two things are going to happen. We We'll go deeper with God. I've seen in my own life, it's what the scripture teaches. I've heard testimony after testimony of people who stepped out in faith, including with their finances. I've seen it over and over again. We will go deeper with God and this church will be well taken care of. Well taken care of. In fact, we will have beyond what we need. We will have an overflow of abundance that we can then begin to utilize for the things that are most deep in the heart of God. Care for the poor, right? Taking care of those who are in need. Um, you know, addressing the needs of those who are far from God. Uh, making sure that the gospel is proclaimed uh, to the farthest reaches of the world. This is what happens when when we step out in faithfulness. God does an amazing thing. We go deeper with him and, and we're taken care of. So let me just finish with this. As we start a new year, 2021, I want you to know that there's going to be all kinds of messages about the future that will be bombarding you in this year. And some of those will come from the enemy whispering in your ear, trying to entice you to trust in your own ingenuity for the future. He might use social media. He might use the news media. He might play on your own past fears. And then welling up alongside of that is our own sinful nature, our hearts, which want to be in control, our our idolatries, um, all of these are, are mixing together, and, and, and their, their, their goal is to call us away from that pure trust in God. But I want to remind you, as you consider this text, these words of Jesus Christ, I want to remind you that c- compared to the promise of God, the whisperings of the enemy are empty. They're empty. I was reminded this week of fog and, and how it can spread and cover a massive area. You know, and it obscures our vision. We can't see clearly when the fog settles. But did you know that something like seven blocks of fog, if you reduce it down to water, it would, it would not even fill a whole cup? One solitary cup. And next to the promises of God that we have here in this text, the promise that comes on the lips of Jesus Christ, the faithful one, the enticements of the enemy and our own selfish hearts intended to carry us away from trust in God, they're only so much fog. And God's inviting us to see through the fog to his faithfulness, which he's demonstrated over and over again, not to be blinded, by the fog of negativity, by the fog of temptation, by the fog of anxiety. But to remember the simple truth, your father knows what you need and he will be faithful. So God, We present ourselves to you right now as as these words from your, your scripture are fresh in our minds, the command not to be anxious, the call to trust in you. And we bring ourselves to you with what we know of who we are in our brokenness and our sin, our past failures, our future hopes. We just bring it all to you and we say, Lord, have your way with us. We want to live the life of faith and trust. We don't want to be stuck in toxic sort of self-trust. But we want to be freed to live a life of faith in you and your magnificent promises. And so Holy Spirit, would you meet us this morning in our homes In our hearts, would you free us from the unhealthy ways in which we relate to money, the ways that draw us away from trusting in you, the the toxicity that it is for our souls? And would you free us this morning? I pray that in our homes and wherever we are, that there right now, because of the presence of the Holy Spirit on the basis of the shed blood of Jesus Christ, there would be a freeing of anxiety, of idolatry of money, of idolatry of self. There would be a releasing into trust that would be brought about a spiritual shift in our hearts and our souls. Lord, you know what some of us have been struggling with, some of those elements that I called out in the beginning, obsessing about money, emotional spending, you know, sneaking purchases and hiding them from our spouse, you know, feeling guilty if we spend any money at all and just ultimately putting our trust in money and not you. You know, those and, and more, these things swirl around in our hearts. Would you break us free of the bondage of sin this morning by the power of your spirit as relates to our relationship to money? Bring freedom. Set us at liberty, God, to live a life of trust and faith and freedom in you. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.